0: Welcome to the Haber Show podcast. We have a special bonus episode this week. In addition to the trade deadline recap podcast that's going to come out on Friday. Here is my conversation with Portland Trailblazers president of basketball operations, Neil Olshay. He's the guy who one month into his GM gig with Portland back in 2012, drafted a kid from Weber State named Damian Lillard, who if you haven't noticed is on an absolute tear right now. So we'll talk about Olshe's roots, what led him to Dame, what makes Damian special as a leader, and what his logo Lillard shooting ways means for the entire league as a whole. Like, I gotta know, Neil, is there a four-point line in the NBA's future? So stay tuned to hear his answer on that. But a word before we get into the conversation, due to technical difficulties, the Good Mikes decided to take a load management day, apparently. So... Apologies in advance for the sound quality here. Luckily, Neil more than made up for it. We had a great time with this one. So, without further ado, Neil Olshay. I do a thing, the warm up layup line or something. I just I did it with Stan Van Gundy. I did it with J.J. Redick. Just kind of warm up um, a quiz, I guess I would say about something in your life that I'm dr- drilling down into something where you're from or high school or some your career and I want to see if you can name it. All right. So it's a little quiz. It's uh, just to get things warmed up here. So you went to college at Le Moyne Gold Wave? The gold? Well, no, it's the LeMoyne Dolphins. The
1: Gold Wave is the Athletic Association.
0: Okay. So the LeMoyne Le Dolphins is in Syracuse. Yes. Syracusa, Italy. What is that?
1: Land of the Dolphins.
0: That's where it gets its name yeah. from. Exactly. Okay, so you're just There's not so many be-
1: dolphins in the uh, snow belt.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so you, you're you from uh, New York yes. City. And you played lacrosse at Lemoyne. I did. So my question to you, Neil O'Shea, is... Syracuse is, I, I grew up in Connecticut, and I knew all my friends played lacrosse, and they just wanted to go to Syracuse because it's a great lacrosse school. Right. So they are the national championship, NCAA championship, most championships with 11 in lacrosse. My question to you is, who is the next team on that list with the most titles in lacrosse? Since you played lacrosse in Syracuse, not at Syracuse, right. but you know a thing or two in, about- In lacrosse. division one or? Division one. Or division one, it's gotta be Hopkins. Correct. That's correct. got to be Hopkins. And they don't. Are they good at any other sports, or is it just lacrosse? I think
1: they're all well. I because I think they're D three in all the other sports. Because I mean, you know, you've got to be a neurosurgeon to get into the place, unless, <laughs> yes. you're, unless you're a lacrosse player. Um, so yeah, no, I think I I think that's it for them. But yeah, uh, men's and women's lacrosse dominant there, and that that was the Final Four for a long time. It was always Qes, Hopkins, and Ivy, and then an ACC team.
0: How did you know? Um, how did you know? Because. When I grew up, it was lacrosse was like booming, but right. in the city, how did you play lacrosse?
1: Never touched a stick until I got to Lemoyne. No way. Um, no, I played basketball, I played baseball, um, I played tennis, and uh, got hurt my senior year. Went to Lemoyne. Um, I was Jesuit educated at Xavier High School, so yep. the pipeline there. Um, ended up at Lemoyne and was screwing around, not doing much, and was going to transfer actually back to Manhattan College and play for Gordy Chiesa after my knee healed, and was screwing around and guy walked up to me in the gym one day in the athletic center. I was refereeing, you know, some of the, yeah. the intramural basketball games. And he said, hi, I'm Tom Deal. I'm the lacrosse coach and I'm in charge of P.E. and you're failing my P.E. class. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I don't take P.E. And he said, yes, you do. All freshmen are required to take P.E. And I was <laughs> like, well, I've never taken P.E. in my life because i was always been on a team. And he said, well, I'll make a deal with you. I'm starting a lacrosse program and we have some guys and we're also recruiting former football player, athletes, whatever. If you give lacrosse a shot, I'll pass you. So a few buddies of mine and I joined the lacrosse team and ran around and had no idea what we were doing and never seen, I'd never seen a game before. I'd never seen a stick it's before. It's
0: huge up there in Syracuse.
1: It's massive in Syracuse. It's like the biggest thing. It is. And now since then, you know, Le Moyne's won six national championships, Division II, and produced a lot of, you know, major indoor lacrosse level players. But at the time, Tom Deal was the intramural coordinator and was starting a lacrosse program. He had been on the B team at SU and started a program and they were they were funding it at the time. and. Um, you know, when we built the program, we were the founding fathers of the uh, the lacrosse program. We were a club my first year, then D three my uh, my last three years. So it kind of went up the ladder after
0: after you guys. It did.
1: We were D three. We were really you know we were successful at the time I was a senior. They went on even bigger and better things. Their current head coach has been there almost ten years, twenty years now. Danny Sheehan moved to D two and like I said, have won multiple national championships, produced a ton of All Americans, and my group, which was the group that started in uh, in the, with the 84 season, um, you season, know, we've donated weight rooms, we've supported the program, and all of us have gone on to realize that had the players been at the level they are now when we were there, none yeah. of us would have made the team.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where I, I see a lot of similarities with basketball, lacrosse. That's what it is. It, it, it's just basketball with a stick, right? You're, you're still, the, the speed, the flow, trying to shoot into a the goal. The spacing. Spacing, the vision, like... Is it, is it the same sort of playbook, or is it more impro- improvised? Well, you know, it's interesting
1: now. When we played, it was a much more physical game. The ball was on the floor a lot more. There was a lot more body checking. Now the kids, because of the grassroots efforts all around the country, the kids are so skilled. I mean, the ball never touches the ground, almost like the NBA, right? We've gotten very passive, can't touch, no physicality. They don't want as much stick checking. Um, so it's really more of a skill game. It's much faster, more fluid. It's interesting in that... They've grown and the program has grown to the point where Lemoyne has exceeded expectations from other programs that had started you know when we started it was all about Hobart was division three and they won 14 straight I think um, and Qes had been in the final four I think 16 straight years so but he's very similar and I think whenever I would get in trouble conceptually because I'd literally never seen a game I ran onto the field you know at coin field to play the Syracuse freshman team the yeah. my first year and a guy hit and I had no idea what he was doing. Um, but a buddy of mine, Jeff Gilhenny, who was a really good player, an elite, elite player that ended up at Le Moyne, he was a good basketball player as well, would always just say, No, Neil, get in your stance, move your feet. It's a pick and roll, just switch the pick and roll. Hey, it's pass screen away, like open up, get in your stance. Like, He just related everything to basketball. And ironically, I think historically, basketball was actually created by Dr. Naismith as an indoor winter training program for lacrosse. Oh, it started so out I didn't 10 on that. 10. Yeah, it started out 10 on 10 you know, with a peach basket, but it was basically, there was nowhere to practice outdoors for lacrosse, and they came up with basketball as a way to, it was called baskets, I think, and it was a way to train for lacrosse. It was the same style of play. The only difference is the point guard faces the hoop as opposed to in lacrosse, you play point behind as a point attackman, and the cutters come at you, you know, to find guys.
0: So you just have this, uh, basketball was always in your brain when you're playing lacrosse, and you just, I guess... You know, you just had an eye for the the game itself of lacrosse, just with a stick. You're you then become. I don't know. You're working out NBA guys. I'm fast forwarding. I'm going past lots <laughs> of stuff that happened. But but um, you're. I, I always think you know when I watch uh, the other day Bismack Biyombo is is playing soccer out on the on the court in France, and I'm sitting there like, I feel like it should be Neil. You should be going to. Uh, soccer games or lacrosse games and recruiting or for, uh, uh, rugby. Like, is that going to be the next frontier? Is like going to scout different sports for basketball talent?
1: I don't know if it's scout as much as I think we do value when you evaluate players, right? Especially like when you have big men that, you know, grew up playing soccer, right? Guys that can move their feet. You know, players like, you know, we drafted Pat Connaughton, right? Yeah. Who was a major league caliber pitcher, yep. big time quarterback it's guys that just get game concept, right? Guys that know how to compete, guys that have you know, different skills. You know, I, I still just think, you know, NBA players are the best athletes in the world. Like you can't fake playing basketball. right? But if you gave a, like we were joking yesterday, Trevor Ariza was kicking everybody's butt playing ping pong, right, at our, our practice facility. Yeah. Like basketball players can do other things because they're so gifted athletically, both lower and upper body, hand-eye coordination, as well as balance, agility, quickness. But it translates to so many other things. But if you're very sports-specific, you know, my father-in-law is an, a Hall of Fame football coach. You know, was in the NFL for 38 years, was at Penn State for 18 years. And he always evaluated players and wanted guys that had played basketball in high school at Penn State. Because they had great hands, they had great footwork. Yep. They knew how to move, mm-hmm. right? They got spacing, Balance, they got yeah, the, yeah. You know, the visual spatial of it. They got the angles. Um, you know, he's actually the guy that, you know, ironically... You know, they were recruiting Joe Montana at Penn State. And he was supposed to go see him. And someone said, well, you know, did you go see him? He said, no, I watched tape. So well, have you seen him live? He said, I did not need to see him live. I saw him play in the Dapper Dan in Pittsburgh as a point guard. He's the best natural athlete I've ever seen. He can <laughs> absolutely play the quarterback position.
0: That's it. That's all you need to see. Yeah. And I, I feel like, uh, so I, I just don't, I don't think that it's, it's not essentially we go over to Africa and pick guys off the soccer field and go throw them and throw a basketball at them. But I do think that basketball, it requires a team aspect that, yes, you can have individual skills, but there is a certain social element to basketball where you have to be a team-oriented or, or passing. And it isn't just good enough to be good on your own. You have to be uh, you know, a team, team uh, player. Like Tiger Woods, I don't know if he would succeed or Roger Federer would succeed in basketball because I just think they're singularly, singularly are so good individually. Whereas basketball, if you're good at soccer, it just feels like, or lacrosse, I feel like it's got a great crossover for, for basketball. Yeah, it, well, it does. And that's where,
1: you know, the idea of five pieces moving together, yeah. you know, even you see the Blazer logo, right? It's supposed to represent, right? Five players moving independent of one another. And it is like soccer. It's you know, willing to make the hockey assist, right? The soccer assist, the pass to the pass. Yep. And, and seeing the geometry of the court change. You know, it's not as simple as just you're up to bat, right? It's you're at bat, right? It's, it's different. It's, yep. it's your tee time, right? It's your golf swing. I mean, you know, I mean, you can play with partners, but one guy can't make the game easier for the other. You know, and I, th- and I think that's always been the beauty of it. You know, even lacrosse, whether it's lacrosse, whether it's basketball, is that, you know, even football, right? You either play offense or defense. You don't play both.
0: Yep.
1: Um, although some guys in our league do only play offense <laughs> yeah. or defense. Yep. No. But but the ability to make the game easier for the people you're playing with, right? And to accentuate what they do really well by your skill set complementing theirs. And I think that becomes the art of putting a team together, right? Is it's not always just, you know, what are the five best players you can get? It's, well, who are the five best players you can get that are the best together, Yep. you know that complement one another.
0: So you talk about that Joe Montana watching like film of him playing basketball, knowing he can do that and p- play quarterback. Uh, how did you know Dame Lillard was going to be this good? You know, <laughs> I, I look. I don't know that anybody knew he'd be a first team All NBA
1: player, right? You know, that could spend a week averaging 50, uh, uh, fifty-seven and six.
0: They would have drafted him number one overall, right?
1: Number two, or three, <laughs> right. or four. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I always say this. You know, with I was very blessed in that. I got the Portland job two weeks before the draft. and But I had left a team that had Chris Paul, Chauncey Billups, Mo Williams. And my young guy was Eric Bledsoe. So yeah. I kind of had really good representations of what the point guard position should be. And, you know, it's interesting. Dave had a great workout. You know, I had scouted him live because... You know, with the Clippers, I mean, I was thinking, you know, early 20s initially, right, for Dame when we would go see him, I mean, he rose very late.
0: Yeah, he wasn't and even recruited. He wasn't recruited heavily. Like, I, I even looked at Rivals.com, or like, prepping for this. It's like, well, where did he rank in his class? He was a two-star recruit. Yeah,
1: he, I mean, and that's, and that's why what, what makes him so great and is – but it was interesting. That night, he had a great workout. We broke for a little bit. He went back to the hotel to shower, and I said, well, I'll pick you up. I'll, you know, I'll give you a ride to dinner. And we were just driving around, and we were going to meet my whole front office and Paul Allen at Oswego Grill in Lake Oswego, and I'd never been, and I got lost, and we—I didn't have ways, you yeah, know, like we're it's like this
0: preways, this yeah.
1: preways, and we're driving around, we just we're just talking, you know, and I, and I just kept like, going, oh, my God, he's Chauncey,
0: he's Chauncey, yeah.
1: like like Chauncey just had a gravitas with him that he walked into the room and he went, that's the leader. And I got the same vibe from Damien. Like, he just carried himself, and it wasn't a swagger, and it wasn't an arrogance. It was just a this supreme confidence where you just, you just knew guys would want to go to battle with him. Like, you know what I mean? And he was about the right things, and his composure. Because, you know, they had made it very clear to us, Aaron Goodwin and Eric Goodwin, in the draft process was they wanted him here. You know, I think if you looked around the teams around us, there were conflicts positionally. They really felt like this was a good fit for him. We did have a very strong roster. Initially, we had LaMarcus, we had Wes, we had yeah. Nick. We weren't going to be that far away, but clearly they needed a point guard. And, you know, they really wanted him here. Um, so there was even more pressure on Date. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And this kid who hadn't gone through the steak dinners and the stroke fest and all this stuff all through high school and— AAU guys and shoe companies and all that other stuff. This was his first foray into this out of Oakland High School and Weber State. And yeah. you know what I mean. And for him to handle that was, was pretty remarkable. Like I said, it was way, really more the way he carried himself as a person. And I also, you know, you know, one of the things that's unique about Portland is you've got to know people that are going to get this market, mm-hmm. you know, that are going to buy into this. And I really felt like we had a chance with him, knowing how important player retention is for small non destination markets that we were going to have a chance that if this went well, the loyalty that he showed when we would talk about hey, why'd you end up at Weaver? Like you
0: cut kind of, and you realize a couple of Pac 12 schools caught on to him late his senior year. He could have, he could have, and with the foot injury, him. I guess he could have taken and said, you know what, I'm going to take the year off a gap year and go to uh, UCLA exactly. Yeah. And he didn't, yeah. And the fact that he didn't really carried a
1: lot of equity with me and with Paul, god rest his soul. that you know what, this is a guy that if we get this right, this is a guy we can literally build an organization around. And we didn't do it initially, because we had enough you know, players there to compete right out of the gate. But when the opportunity came, you know, when we lost a couple of free agents, we didn't bat an eye about handing the reins over to him and, and then CJ.
0: Neil, what does a great workout look like? Because I always hear horror stories of like, falling in love with a player after one day, a great practice, yeah. he hit every shot. But what is, uh, I guess he, he also, I, I think he played in the combine in a three-on-three or he decided to go play combine when a lot of guys were not just like, I don't think I'm going go to go combine and play because what do I have to gain? Right. But he goes in and says, I want to go to the combine and play three-on-three or do, or do workouts. But what is that, what did he do that was so great? Well, you know, the
1: combine part, I don't know as much about what he did, but that he did it. You know, that, that he wanted a, like, the fact that he knew – I wanna go compete against all these guys that everybody else is hearing about and talking about and which is why he can go play tonight against James Harden and Russell with a roster that sixty percent of our starting lineup is in the training room, right? <laughs> yep. And and give you a chance to win. And, you know, know that opening night of his career, he plays against Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant, right? I think I don't know if it was Antoine Jameson or another Hall of Fame caliber player, and go out and get twenty four and twelve, you know, opening night and beat the Lakers in our building, you know, that was coming in, they were I think they are projected to win like 63 games that year. They were picked to win to win the Western Conference, and he went right at them. And I know that was a great memory for him as well, you know, with Kobe's passing. But I think the fact that he did that, that he wanted to do it, the workout was more about the intensity with which, because when you work out on your own, see, players and agents get consumed with, I don't, want to, I don't want to work out against anybody, I'll work out on my own. And it's almost more detrimental, because then there's nowhere to hide. You know, if you miss a couple in a row, somebody else gets to shoot if you have six guys in the gym. You miss a couple in a row by yourself,
0: there's no one to turn to.
1: It's different. But there's a look, again, I did this for a living, right? This is what I did. I put on the beauty pageants for Arn Telem and SFX to trick people into thinking players were better (laughs) than they were. So I knew what, you know, we didn't even have a coach at the time, if you remember. So we did the workout. Yep. You know, the front office did the workout. So I knew what we wanted to do. It was really more his approach, how hard he went with each drill. It was game simulation. And the fact that he wanted to do it because he wanted to be here, right? He wanted to prove to us that he was, he warranted the sixth pick in what was a very good draft with a lot of star power, a lot of one-and-done guys. You know, I mean, and back then, you know, there was no cachet to being a four-year, you know, a, a three-year player, four-year college attendee, right? That was. Sacrilege to not draft the 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 freshman, the one and done guy, the nineteen year old. I
0: think it went uh, Anthony Davis, MKG, Brad Beal, Deion Waiters, Deion Waiters, T Rob, and then then Dame. Was there a team that you were like so relieved they didn't take
1: Dame? Yeah, well, we were we were worried about Sac, you know, ahead of us because Dame's Oakland, and uh, we were worried about them ahead of us. And we definitely, you know, we breathed a sigh of li- relief when he got there, and everything else that draft was was kind of gravy. But, um, you know, and I had to keep it very quiet, you know, even with Aaron. You know, I kept saying, "Well, I don't know if he's a point guard and he's a four year guy." If and you want to show your like, guns, I, yeah, no, I was like, because uh, you know, because when I had interviewed with Paul in London, you know, for the job, yeah. he said, "Well, what do you do in the draft?" And I said, "You know, Paul, I'll be honest with you, because I'm not, you're not a threat to us because we don't have a first, you know, as a Clippers." I said it's Damian Lillard. Like I don't know if, if you have to care to move up to get to two to take him. That's your guy. That's who you can build your franchise around. You know, just from having watched him, you know, play at Weber and knowing what they needed and everything else, it was like he. It just. I don't know. All the intangibles were kind of there that I, I that I that I clarified when I got when we went to Oswego Girl for dinner and I got to be around him. But you could just tell, one of the things that I I like so much about small school players, and I think you see it with C.J. McCollum, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, right? They are responsible for outcome throughout their entire careers. They are not the fourth McDonald's All-American on a team that if they go three for 11, nobody notices. They're the ones answering the questions in the locker room. If you're going to make the NCAA tournament, you're in a one-bid conference, they've got to get you there. They're the ones at the lightning ru- They're run. Whereas like ru- Eric
0: Bledsoe is playing backup and is never getting the, the light of day to show what he can do. It's a totally different story than, than Dame Lillarder has to carry the team right. on his
1: back. So when we draft, you know, when Gary Sachs and I draft, you know, Bled and move into the draft to draft Bled, that's different. That's trying to find something and see something that maybe not everybody else has seen because he did play out of position because, you know, John Wall was there. But, but with Dame, you know, we did it back to back years where, you know, they, those teams went as they went. And so transitioning in as, you know, reporters in the locker room after the opening night asking Damien about, you know, him. And, like, he was not starstruck at all. It wasn't that he wasn't starstruck by Kobe and, you know, whoever was there. It was more about the moment didn't faze him because he'd been in a million of those moments carrying, you know, a low-major team, you know, to conference finals. He was the man.
0: Yeah. Right. I, I, I think about Dame. Uh, the way the game has changed, and he has been a pioneer in this sense, and it's something that I've, I've called Logo Lillard, where he pulls up from 30 feet. And I'm wondering, when did that start happen? When did you start seeing that? Was that Weber State when you saw that range, or was it kind of blasphemous to pull up in transition or pull up from 30 feet and shoot it in an offense? Well, I think, I think, I think
1: he started doing it out of necessity when people started doubling him at half court, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, look, I mean, he... You know, Dame. Dame does a great job of every year extending or adding, you know, something. And you know, when we came out of that New Orleans series. I mean, he was he was frustrated. We didn't do a great job of getting him open. Um, you know, they basically sold out on Dame. Yeah. We didn't have enough guys to make shots. You know, to punish people. It really was a wake up call in terms of what we needed on the roster to kind of punish teams when they would do that. But you know, they're basically assigned three guys to them. It was like this eye formation. As soon as he that court, and boom. Yeah. And and, yeah, yeah. and and I think, you know, the natural inclination, it's very interesting in our league, the inclination is usually split and go to the rim. And I think now what it's become is, you know, Dame getting shots off before guys can come up to do that. Cause at some point it gets absurd, right? Like if you're gonna double all the way at half court. Guys are going to play four on three on the other end. It's different when you're right at the three-point line. Guys can recover. You know, you know yep. what I mean? like they can yep. get back. They can rotate. They can stunt. But guys can't do that when you're pulling up from 30, 35. I mean, he hit one the other night from the A and Moda Center against, I
0: think it was... In the, uh, in the beginning? Was it the first... It, must've, it, must've,
1: it was either Indiana or the Dallas game. Like, he pulled up from, I mean, like 35. Yeah. But, you know, the amazing thing with him is he's so strong. His mechanics don't change. Like, if you watch film on Damien and you got rid of the lines, you wouldn't know if he was shooting a 15-footer or a 35-footer. But that's taken time, right? He's gotten stronger over time. He's developed the confidence from out there. I mean, I think right now he's shooting over 40% on shots beyond 30 feet.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I looked this up, 30 to 40 feet, and he's shooting 42%. <laughs> what? But, but, because What is the, that? like? Why don't Neil why don't you come down every time? Right, right, and, and it's a point right, percent shot.
1: Right, and maybe we get an offensive rebound or at least we won't we get our bigs back. But <laughs> but you know it's but it's interesting that you know you said it because I'm a big believer and I don't know if the numbers pin, that I would rather have anyone shoot a shot 5 feet further back than a contested shot 5 feet closer in. A right.
0: Step back, you're saying, you're saying you'd rather get that spot. Right, like even
1: like, I mean, even not an elite shooter like Dame, but I would rather have a below average shooter shoot a wide open shot than a good shooter shoot a contested yeah. shot. And and I think that's what Dame does is why am I fighting? It's just as good a shot for me to shoot it from 30, 32 feet. Why am I fighting to get to 20, 23, 9 and then have a seven footer close out with a hand in my
0: face? When did that change? For, was, it, was it that New Orleans series? Well, I think, I think he went back. I think he
1: realized, you know, extending his range, you know, his handle improved. I think penalizing teams knowing the farther out I can be a threat from, yeah. the more they have to extend and stretch their defense, and then they've created more vulnerability, right, where I can make the hockey assist. And, you know, it's one of the things we miss, you know, not having Nurk is Nurk became such
0: a threat. The last month of the season, last year, it was just – he was – Oh yeah, he's incredible. Triple doubles, and it was it was incredible. Yeah. His passing—I didn't know he had that lever that he. he could yeah, get. no, he does, and that, and that's
1: been the big, you know, the hardest thing for us, you know, on the offensive end is that pass to the middle, where you can trust Nurk. He's got CJ on the weak side. You know, he's got a shooter in the corner. He's got a guy in the dunker spot. He can go finish. Right, he's a seventy-eight percent free throw shooter. So, so like I said, this year has been more of a challenge for Dame. But the beauty of it is. He has now created this where, defensively, you've got a scheme for it. It's not it's not the anomaly anymore, like, all right, he hurt us by pulling up early. It's You've got to be aware that that is a good shot for him. It's not just one he's going to take. It's one he's going to make.
0: Let's go back to that Paul George shot. Good shot or bad shot? <laughs> I was going
1: to say, um, <laughs> it's the, uh, it, but it's interesting that <laughs> that one, that was the, that was the, that, 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 that Kills my whole myth because I was going the wrong way, off the wrong foot, with a hand in his face, and you know, the, wor- but, the workout guy in you is just right. oh, what, what are you doing? <laughs> but you know, but what I was very happy, what what I was so happy with was we were either going overtime, or we were winning the game, right? Like, and I think he did a great job of not letting Paul, who's an elite defender, yeah, speed him up, right? You know, maybe four or five years ago, Paul speeds him up, makes him go early. If we don't convert, now they've got the last. Shot to win that game, right? And maybe the series swings. So Dame just kind of, the fact that he took it down and didn't even go with the offensive rebound approach, just, I'm either winning this or we're going overtime and I'll win it in overtime.
0: Clock and score matters in that sense. Or if it it was you guys down one, that would have been a totally different (laughs) ballgame. Completely different. Yeah. Completely different. If you're up one and you take that shot a little sooner, it's going the other way right if, if there's a it, differential and you have to take it and, but the fact that he's kind of playing with free money a little bit with it being overtime or we win right that's, that's well and you
1: eliminate the turnover right you eliminate the pick six you eliminate an awful lot by trusting and that's that's one of the areas of growth for dame is he's never been a, shied away from taking that shot but I think you know when, when he was a less mature player there were times where you could speed him up right you could bring the blitz at him you know what I mean? Whereas now yeah. he's got much more composure. It's like a quarterback in the pocket where it's like, look, I'm just going to step up in the pocket, blitz all you want, but I'm going to take the shot when I'm ready to take it. You're not going to force me into taking it prematurely.
0: Yeah, and, and that takes time and an off season to just understand, all right, this is how i got to improve. And recalibrate what I do on the floor when they show that defense. Right. That weapon is now Trey Young. Uh, you look at uh, p- kids around the the country trying to shoot from deep, like Dame, like Steph. But as a as someone who used to work out, guys, and, and maybe you still do too, and I don't know about that. What does it take to be able to shoot from 30 feet? Because Dame is strong. Right. He's, he's a lot stockier than than your average point guard, but. Where is that strength coming from?
1: Well, I always say, you know, it's mechanics, not muscle, right? It's the reason that, you know, a gal, one of the girls on the LPGA tour can outdrive all these guys, you know, right? That are like, you know, that are high level recreational players. It doesn't matter, right? It's, it's their swing. And, you know, um, you, know, you know, obviously I started my career, worked a lot with Jason Capono, um, one of the greatest shooters we, we've had, right? Yeah. And when you watch him, it was effortless. You know, guys like Mike Miller, you know, when they would be in the gym, Jason and Mike and those guys, and they're shooting from a step in. Eric, Eric Gordon's another guy. Yeah. Step inside half court. You know, like I said, that's the thing with Dame. But, but this is the problem. Dame does it. Steph does it. Trey does it. But none of these kids today see all the work that they put in and how long it took to get to the point where their mechanics were strong enough, right, where they've extended it a foot at a time. Like, they didn't just make a jump from... The three-point line out to thirty-five feet in one summer, and the problem with these young kids I see them all is they can't do it. They're not strong enough, and their mechanics are a wreck. Right. They're the kid with the golf club just swinging as hard as they possibly can and spraying it all over the driving range, right? Because they're not strong enough. And but that one time it goes straight, man! It oh, good. yeah, it's great. Oh, it's yeah. <laughs> great. You know, and but I see my you know my eighth-grade son. You know, they're all they're all there jacking threes, and I'm like, not one of you have good enough mechanics to shoot the ball properly from fifteen feet, let alone twenty-five feet. So I think we are doing a disservice to our game because there isn't as much offensive diversity. Like, I go to my son's games, and, you know, it's either a layup or a three, and a layup or a three. And they, they can't make the threes because their mechanics are crap, right, because they're just not strong enough to shoot it from out there yet. But it's what they're trained optically now. They come to NBA games, and that's all they see is three-pointers or get to the rim. And, and, that's, and, I, and, like, losing that offensive diversity is a problem not just – Aesthetically for our game, and homogenizing our game, but it's also because it's teaching the youth to take shots they're not ready to take because they see Damian do it.
0: Stephen Curry talked about it on the all the Smoke podcast with uh, with Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes, and he said people don't see that when I go to the court, the first thing I do is take layups and then work my way backwards, exactly. and that's how my dad taught me how to play. He's like Dell would teach me how to do yeah. that. Kids, they walk out on the floor, and the first thing they're doing is going beyond the three-point line, which is the opposite thing that I did, and still do, is work my way out.
1: Well, that's what, you know, when I, when Jason and I would work out together, we started one foot from the rim, swish 10, half a step back, swish 10, another step back, another step back, all the way until we made it to the three-point line, like making 10 in a row, so that your mechanics never change, because you're only stepping back by a foot, right? And the idea is, you know, when you're teaching kids is, the minute you get to the point where your mechanics are changing, take a step back in. That's your range. Yeah. And that's where you should be shooting from. And like I said, you know, CJ's done it as well. Like CJ has extended. He's taking some deeper threes now. And, and he's got, you know, arguably the best mid-range game in our league. Oh, yeah. And he's very comfortable with that, but it took a while to get more consistent from three. And now the next step will be taking it farther out, right? Which makes him even more of a threat to go off the bounce and get to his mid-range jumper. Um, but, but, like, so, you know, with, with, with the guys now, you know, it's just everybody is shooting them. And I wonder when the correction is going to come, right?
0: You're on the competition committee, four-point line.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, I mean, the point... The point where is this going?
0: Th- Maybe that's where it's going. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know.
1: Up. I mean, you know, the irony is, the irony with it is that usually you do it as a deterrent, right? Like, well, this has to be, like, the argument always with the three-point line was it shouldn't be within the flow of the offense, Right, it should be something in the old days, it should be something you have to run something specifically to get. Right? It shouldn't be your normal spacing. If you remember like the one year the ACC had it in, it was actually inside the top of the key. Yeah. Right? It was absurd. Yep. And then the NBA had the line in too close. But it's like but that's my point is when Dame and Steph and Trey and James and all these people can shoot the ball from thirty five feet. Like how far back are you gonna put the four point line? Does it have to be a half court?
0: Because they're gonna have to keep moving it back <laughs> because they're gonna be like, All right, I can shoot it from forty.
1: Right. So do you think we're going to see half-court shots? I, like? I, dear God, I hope not. I, I hope not. I mean, I, you know, like I, I just, you know, it, the game, when I first got in, I worked for, you know, an ex and O's genius and Mike Dunleavy, right? I mean, nobody had more plays and counters, and there was an artistry to it, right? It was, it was so exciting to be in the NBA because there were so many sets and so many counters and so many actions and so many ways to get guys open for a multitude of shots and, you know, the diversity offensively, where you got guys and and you could have different kinds of players, right? And now it's literally like, you may as well just show up at the driving range and then go putt.
0: That's a great, I was just gonna say, it feels like there's just one long ball, and then, I mean, I think one of the other things also is the lack of practice time in today's NBA. You're not able to implement those counters and stuff as much as you used to. And I talked to Nate McMillan about this the other day, it's just like the schedule, it's great that we have fewer back-to-backs, but what it's created is, Game, day off, game, day off, game, day off. And what happens is we give the players a day off, right. and we're not able to practice on those days. Well,
1: we're required now. I mean, the old days weren't required. Now you're required. Every guy's got to have at least 18 days off, right? So start from there. That's your baseline. Then you have a situation like us, right, where we've got the other night we only had eight guys in uniform. You know, so, I mean, well, like what you can't risk losing another guy. Even if it's not, okay, we're going to rest our starters in practice. Can you even risk... The rotation guy stepping on someone's foot, and you're down to seven guys.
0: So you're you're even playing defense on that, right? And and so you're not even able. I mean, how many plays can you implement, or a system tweak can you implement during a regular season?
1: Yeah. Well, and we play so much now in flow. You know what I mean? Where the ball, where you're just playing. You know, read, react, and you know, and, and like I said, it just everybody has gotten you know very analytic. You know, driven with the numbers, and you know, and they pencil out, right? Free throws, rim, you know, threes. I mean, they do pencil out. But if we're all playing the same way, you know, it's one of the things that's been hard for us this year. Is we lost our identity. We win because Damon CJ score, mm-hmm. but we win because we rebound at a high rate and we protect the rim, and that's what we lost a lot of. With you know, we, we started the season with five seven footers and we're down to one. Right? I mean, we wanted to be the counter team where it was like, no, we were going to pummel you on the glass and we're going to offensive rebound, you know, number one in the league last year and defensive rebounding. And we're going to protect the rim and we're going to force mid-range jumpers that are contested and take the three away, right? And then all of a sudden we're trying, we're playing a style with a completely different roster composition, but we've played the same way for six or seven years and it just doesn't work when you don't have... Two seven footers in the starting lineup with Zach and Nurk, and you don't have Powell coming off the bench, and you know, and then Hassan as well, and you know, even just you know, you know, you go. Everybody in the league, we all go small, but we start big. Yes. So and it's really
0: about the second unit that.
1: Yeah, you and you started. know, and look, and our rebounding was massive. You know, in that, you know, that Denver series. I mean, those a lot of those games we won. Nobody shot really well. I mean, that last game. Set basketball back two decades. I mean, I n- mean neither of us is to such a
0: like a, to have a guy like that who can just clean up the offensive glass like that and kick out or just put it right back. That was huge last year. And, and
1: that's and that's what and that's like I said, you know, with and we we doubled down on it, right? You know, figured Nurk, we have has, we trade for Hassan, yep. we'll get Nurk back, we sign Powell. You know, we had Scal, who's a seven-footer, right? Zach Collins can play four and five. We're going to have this big front line. You know, Rodney Hood's eight, and so, we, you know, and then it, and it just kind of, it all fell apart in about three weeks, and it's been a scramble, and the only constant have been we've kept the backcourt scoring, which is why we're still 10th in offensive efficiency, but it's finishing possessions, getting the defensive rebound, getting stops, protecting the rim, and, and we, like I said, other than when Hassan's out there, we just don't have
0: that element. So what's your solution to the homogeny? You're on the competition committee. What's Neil O'Shea's grand idea to kind of mix things up? Well, you know, for me,
1: you know, I, I'd i like to get some data and see, you know, if we eliminated the corner three.
0: If we just, extend
1: if we the, just extended the line right to the sideline, all the way out, would that change things, right? Would that bring, you know, the kind of the short corner back into play? Yep. Would it bring the post up back into play? You know, would guys... That aren't ready, you know, to, to shoot it from the wing in the arc because you're going to stretch the defense. Would it forced people, and maybe the data shows it doesn't. I don't know, but it would certainly take the easiest, highest value shot out of play, and it would force people to become more creative. You can't in just parry a the guy in the
0: corner. Well, you,
1: and that's a- other thing. I mean, I'm probably costing guys jobs that their best days yeah. were behind them, but they can at least stand still, make a three, and play some physical defense. So well, like
0: Trevor, he could sit in the corner and then just play bulldog defense on the other end. Because, right. Or whoever it is who's the 3 and D guy who can just say, all right, I'm going to park myself here, and then defensively I'm going to get after it. Yeah, so, so, I, so I don't know. So I no four-point line. You're I, I just, and I also
1: think, you know, the other thing is, I think for, I think we've taken screening out of the game. Um, we've completely limited his screening. You can't set it on-ball screen. You, you know, off-ball, it's all freedom of movement. So the problem is, the tools that you did used offensively when you ran certain sets to get guys elbow jumpers, short corner jumpers, right? Top of the key jumpers, flares. It's been eliminated not because the shot has been eliminated, but the way to get that guy open, right, is so adjudicated now because, you know, we are so focused on freedom of movement. So it is spacing and it is a lot of drive and kick and flow and random pick and roll. So in order to do that, you want guys spaced out. So they're clearly going to space out Beyond the three point line. So I, I think we've lost that as well. So I mean, it's a good thing in that, you know, hey, scoring is up, freedom of movement is a good thing. But by taking that out of play, yeah.
0: it's changed the approach. Of, it yeah. does.
1: I mean, the, the idea, I mean, look, the old deal was like, if you wanted to get a shot off, go set a back screen, right? Yeah. And then step to the ball. What was the last time anybody saw anybody set a back screen? Because they're afraid they're going to yeah. get, it's going to be a moving screen and it's freedom of movement and the defender's got to have movement to move. And so by taking that out of play, I, I think we've eliminated a lot of the old passing game, you know, the stuff we used to run. I mean, nobody runs floppy anymore. I know, because you say
0: floppy's out.
1: Because yeah. there's no way in the world someone's coming off not one but two screens without getting called for a moving screen. So you've just eliminated it. It's just better to beat a guy off the dribble. You know, we're look, we're playing the masters of it tonight, yeah. right? Having to get a guy on an island... I'm going to attack them. I'm either going to make a play or I'm going to be at the rim or, you know, or get my shots. So, um, yeah, so it, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't know what the solution is or if anybody else is interested in the solution. But I do think the homogeny and the fact that, you know, Kirk Goldsberry had his tweet the other day with, you know, with the graph where yes. all the shots were either at the rim or, um, you know, or out beyond the three-point line. We've got to do something about it because we're also creating a lot of one-dimensional players that are coming into our league. Because they're
0: incentivized by being good at those shots. Well, they, and, they recognize, hey, this—if this is the way the game's being played, I got to be really. And good it's what at it. they see. Yeah.
1: The difference is so it's, there's a big difference between great players, right, that have the ability to do all those other things from a diversification standpoint, choosing the higher value shots, versus players that are it, com- coming into the league that are completely incapable. Of, of playing, doing that from yeah. the dotted line back out to the top of the key, they they have no idea how to play in that area or that zone, and that's the problem.
0: Well, hopefully, Connor is working
1: on. it. <laughs> hopefully, he opens a math book. That's really what I'm more concerned <laughs> about. I'd rather have him doing the analytics with you than yes. trying to go play with guys like Dave.
0: Well, Neil, thanks so much for the time. And um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see where this goes. The the homogeneity and, and it there is, like you said, there's going to have be a breaking point at some point where either an artificial breaking point where the league does something or just another player comes through and changes the game.
1: Well, and you're right. Cause we're all sheep. <laughs> so all it's going to take is somebody to win a championship by pounding the ball inside of two bigs, shooting a lead. bunch of mid range jumpers. And suddenly we're all going to be looking for seven footers. Again, they can play with their back to the basket and know how to make a McHale move. That'd be great. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks Next to All you got
0: right. It. All right. That'll do it for this conversation with Neil O'Shea. I want to thank him for joining me on the show. Two housekeeping notes. One, we will have another episode of The Haber Show recapping the crazy trade deadline ahead of us. Uh, That will drop on Friday. And secondly, if you haven't listened to it yet, recommend going back and listening to the Remembering Kobe Bryant podcast that uh, we did last week. I had a longtime friend, Mark Spears, who covered Kobe Bryant the last two decades on the podcast, as well as Kobe's high school classmates, my producer for the Haberstat, His name is Chris Hine. We'll also check in with Brian Shaw and Doug Christie, who spent a lot of time with Kobe over the years. So go check that out. I uh, Still can't believe Kobe's gone. Until next time on The Haber Show.